The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. We're going to have a short uh, film. A couple of guests will be here via audiovisual presentation, so I'd like you to give a, a welcome to our senior pastor. I'm out. There I am. It's to Pastor Irwin and Mustafa, author of Islam Without Extremes. Well, this is the uh, miracle of modern technology. And I have uh, Mustafa Kyol from Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, the sun is setting in your side of the world, and the sun has just uh, risen in my side of the world. It's good to have a conversation with you today. Happy to conversation with you too, and hello to California from Istanbul, all the way from Istanbul. Istanbul, I think, is one of the most significant cities in the world. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. I, I think it's an interesting place because you, you, you have Asia and Europe and the Middle East all converging into the one city that was once the center of this planet. And I'm so glad there's someone as thoughtful and intelligent and reflective as you speaking on the behalf of Islam, and that we can be, begin to build bridges of relationship and community together. Well, first of all, I mean, I, I should say that uh, 10 years ago, when I first saw the attacks on 9-11, I felt, first of all, deeply sorry for all the civilian innocent people who died there, and I still feel that. I've, I share the pain of the American people who lost their loved ones on 9-11. And uh, on my side of the world, in Turkey, uh, we were very sorry about the, the bloodshed, but also we were concerned that this would put a stain on our religion and show Islam as a, as a fanatic, violent religion. Uh, and what the terrorists who act in the name of Islam today are, are, are just violating the principles of Islam and hurting innocent people. And, and I think Muslims like me, and there, there's at least a billion of them around in the world, uh, really are really stand with the innocent people, uh, with, the, with the victims of terrorism, and not with the uh, perpetrators of terrorism. Mm. Uh, Mustafa, I'm going to give you a couple of words, and I just want to have you respond quickly um, about your view of those things so we can actually understand your view of faith. Um, the Quran. Well, the Quran is a book which calls every individual to believe in God, to see the majesty of God and be God-fearing and God-loving. That's the basic idea of the Quran. And if there's a single like idea in the Quran, that's that God created the universe, God created men, and man is responsible to God. And this responsibility is basically to be a moral, righteous person in your life. Uh, and you will show it by being righteous and, and moral to other people, and also by being observant to God, and you will not uh, violate God's, uh, God's, uh, God's uh, rules. Uh, so I think it's the basic idea of monotheism, which is not very different from actually the Christian or the Jewish idea. So uh, if someone was to ask you, um, who is God? How do, you under, uh, how do you understand God? Well, in Islam, God is, to some sense, unknown. So the nature of God is not very, very much known. But there, God's, uh, God's names are known. So He's compassionate. He's just, and He's He knows everything, all omniscient and all powerful. But it is basically the God of Abraham. I mean, the Quran very much emphasized that Muslims, Jews, and Christians believe in the very same God and terms it as the God of Abraham. So I see. Uh, 
uh, God of Islam as, I mean, the term Allah, which is Arabic, it means the God in Arabic. It's not a different deity, you know, as some, sometimes people think. And that's why Christians uh, who speak the Arabic language, I mean, Arabic Christians, they use the term Allah as well to refer to God. So the, the God of Islam is just the God of Abraham, the God, the creator of the universe and the creator of us humans. Uh, Jesus. Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ is very much revered in the Quran. There's a whole chapter uh, named Mary about his birth, his, his divine uh, virgin birth. Uh, he's not defined as in Christianity, he's not defined, uh, defined as divine in himself, but he's defined as Moses or as, as Muhammad in the same sense He's defined as someone who gave God's wisdom to humanity. It, it really surprised me um, that a part of the essential belief in, uh, of Islam is that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Mary uh, experienced a virgin birth. Exactly. I mean, if you deny that, you probably deny a part of the Quran. And uh, like, uh, like Orthodox Muslims will think that you're doing something very wrong. I mean, it's a part of the Muslim faith because it's in the Quran. All right, if I don't ask you about this word, I, I feel like I won't give you an opportunity to speak into uh, tremendous misunderstanding. Uh, jihad. Jihad, okay. Well, jihad means struggle, and it can be any struggle for you know, social works, like social justice in society, but also it means war. I mean, it means military war. And it has been understood in that sense, uh, like in, in classical Islam. But the thing is, there classical scholars put rules about jihad and jihad was like proclamation of Islam so it was it included conquering of territories and there were hadiths saying the tribute to Prophet Muhammad saying that never attack the woman the child and the elderly and you can only fight with armies uh, there's another verse in the Quran which says I mean fight in the name of God but do not go extremes do not go beyond the limits mm -hmm. so there has been in classical Islam this idea of a war uh, with, 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 with just and humane principles of conduct, if you will. Now, the problem with today's Islamist terrorists is that they just, they try to find ways to get over with those things and, and justify attacks uh, on civilians, which is totally unacceptable for me. And on a very different uh, course, um, I, I know that Islamic faith has a clear um, belief in heaven and in hell. Um, yeah. what, what would a person need to go to heaven? I'm assuming nobody wants to go to hell. So I'm, and uh, so what a person need? Hell, God save us from hell. Yes. Uh, well, in the Quran, two things are always mentioned: mm -hmm. belief, faith in God, and the afterlife, and good works. So uh, these two things, and good works are like observance, you know, following daily prayers, fasting in Ramadan, and also being compassionate, you know, alms giving, helping the poor, being kind to people helping the people who are in need. These are all principles of the Quran. Um, so any, any good person who believes in God and, you know, be, and does good works is expected to go to heaven. Because yeah, my experience uh, has been that many of the devout Muslims that I've talked about or have talked with, they've said to me, only Allah knows. And so it seems that no matter how good you try to be, there's always a sense of uncertainty that you don't know if you'll be accepted. Exactly, and that's a, that brings a humbleness uh, to your faith. I mean, in, in one verse in the Quran, the 
Prophet Muhammad is ordered to say that he doesn't know his future as well. He doesn't know what's going to happen with him as well. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the knowledge of the afterlife is only divine knowledge, and we cannot know for sure what's going to happen with us. Yeah. So I think it brings a, a religious uh, devotion, a, a, and, and that insurgency brings a devotion. But also, the Quran ensures that God is just and God is forgiving. So it's not a constant fear out there, mm -hmm. but also also you can never be sure. So you have to really try to be a good person and uh, try to you know keep up with your principles of your faith. So I, I would say there is a like a, a optimistic tension there. Well, you're a great reminder to us that there is uh, truth between us, and there's uh, less that divides us than brings us together. And if we can continue to have meaningful conversations, I think we can bring peace and have a greater understanding in the world. Blessings to the, all the Mosaic people there, and uh, maybe I can come and join one day, you know, if, if you remind me to California. We would love to have you come. Thanks so much. All right, take care. At Genesis 16, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah had said, and so Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, and Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, you, you're responsible for this wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. And so, Hagar mis uh, so Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said to her, Hagar, slave of, of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she said. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You'll name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I had now seen the one who sees me. This is why the well is called Beer Lahay Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. I don't know what's the most surprising thing of the story, but certainly it's got to be he was 86 years old. when. Uh, <laughs> second, take my slave, have sex with her, and uh, she'll have a son. Okay. I, 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 when, when it says Abraham agreed, it's like, how much arm twisting went on there, you know? As, as you, um, how many of you, as you were listening to Mustafa speak, you were just like, you know, certain flags went off in your mind, like, whoa, wow, that's different. And perhaps I'm wondering how many of us on this particular day, uh, this is maybe even the first time you actually heard someone speak 
in your mind rationally about their faith as a Muslim. And so this series, specifically today, about Islam, is, this, wasn't, this was planned. We wanted to have this conversation with all of us, among ourselves, so that we can begin to have intelligent conversations with people of faith around the world. Um, so we chose Islam to be our first topic, our launching point. The truth between us. Theologically, um, as we look through some of the teachings of Islam, you see that there's a tremendous respect Muslims have for people who practice a monotheistic faith. An amazing high regard for people who practice a monotheistic faith. Oddly, though Christianity, the tension is that it's viewed as a polytheistic. If we claim that Jesus is God, we've diminished Allah. We've, we've reduced him. We've added another God. And so the tension is for some people who are Muslim is that Christians, though their root, their source is from the same ancestor, Abraham, we've added something to the mix. And yet, there's still a high regard for the Christian faith. Um, we we're making available today at, at the uh, back resource table a multi-page document if you really... You know, you just love learning and reading stuff like this. Uh, one of our elders, Rick Yamamoto, put together a multi-page document on the, some of the differences and, and, and similarities between our faith and Islamic faith. If we run out uh, on your guest cards, you could let us know that you'd want a copy, and we'll email it to you, of course, for free as a PDF file. When I, when I listened to Mustafa speak and, and uh, you know, about, as Pastor Urban was asking questions regarding uh, heaven and hell, you know, there was that phrase, it's the, it's the lack of certainty that keeps us humble. And I, and I often think about my, my brothers and sisters who are, call themselves followers of Jesus that I've met throughout the world. And the one thing I find that's absent from my, father, from my friends who are followers in America is that humility is not part of their mindset regarding the certainty of heaven. It almost borders on arrogance. When I meet folks in other countries, especially the Middle East, who are believers, there's still this humility like, oh my goodness, I, I've been given this amazing gift. And I, I, I want to you know, share that life of others. How could I do anything less but to live out a life of sacrifice and service to others after this amazing God has given me this amazing gift? What I find often in the West, and you know, I, by the way, I, I don't hate America. I'm not one of those people, okay? But I'm just speaking about what happens to our, our faith. It has been in, uh, you know, morphed by the culture. And I find people who are believers who wish to, you know, we're going to change America for Jesus. Like, we're not Israel, okay? This is another country. And yet, to be very frank with you, a lot of the mindset um, has affected our Christian faith. And one of them is certainly has been the, the way that um, the certainty of this amazing gift. I mean, if you would just think about it for a moment, that, that God who had forgiven you all of your crimes, all of your brokenness, all of your evil, all of your nonsense and crap, and says, I, I not only want you to join me in my mission to restore humanity, I'm going to give you an amazing place to, for, for eternity. It, it's stunning to me that at times the knowledge of the holy makes us arrogant. And that's what it does. When I, when I hear people who, I, I know they're well-meaning, but... But, but sir and madam, if, if you have this view, you're just not thinking of how extremist Islam is. 
because I see that Islam is going through the violent convulsions historically that Christianity did a thousand years ago. Did you see what those barbarians did on YouTube? They beheaded this person and put it on a film. You mean, was that different from the Inquisition? Was that different from, oh, that was Catholic. Really? So that was different from when we were drowning Anabaptists because they dare think that, we, that adults should be baptized, that there should be an adult decision, not an infant baptism. Um, if, you, if you read church history, a person that holds that view, that Islam is an extremist, violent religion, has not read Christian history. We went through our phase. We just went through it earlier, but we went through our phase. And I, I, I'm telling you, if we had cameras back then, we would have filmed it. It was often done in public. Burning people for, for the belief that they were witches or disagreeing on a point of doctrine. I mean, you know, now we just split churches. <laughs> you know? Start a new one. Then we killed you. And the person that got to kill was the one in power. That's how, that's how, that's how the disputes were settled. Who had the army, who had the prince, who had a king in their pocket. As I listen to Mustafa speak and I, and I see how similar our journeys have been, Islam and Christianity, it's interesting how he pointed out in response to the word jihad that you can take a text and mean it to be something evil. And many of us have never, ever picked up a copy of the Quran. And, and that's not a criticism. It's just a fact. And so, but we're convinced we know what's in the book. I know what it says. It says we should, they should go out and kill people all the time. You know, somebody could pick up a copy of the Bible and say the same thing if they read the Old Testament. I mean, you have a God who says, slaughter everybody, including babies. Now, I know some of us in this room right now, you're a follower of Jesus, there's this, there's this pull to say, but, but there's a reason for why God said that. And I, Okay, fine, but I want you to understand from an outsider's point of view, if you're anything but Jewish here today, God would have killed you and your family. So if you're Mexican, Hawaiian, African American, Asian, anything, you were a foreigner, you were out, you were an enemy. So be thankful you weren't born you know, at that time when Israel came into the promised land. And that's if you didn't comply and leave. Or submit and become a member of the Israelite community and commonwealth. I, now, I'm just telling you what it would feel like to an outsider if they look at our book. The same sort of critical negative remarks that folks could say about Islam. We're very similar. We've journeyed a lot together in the same path. And therefore, whether it's, um, my goodness, you know, again, do you realize, even just recently, slavery in the South was justified by the scriptures? I mean, let that sit in for a while. You see, if you're evil... If you're a horrible human being, you can take a sacred teaching and make it evil. And this is why often it seems to me that, that the text says little or says a lot less to a person than it reveals about a person. Any sacred text, the Quran or the Bible. Mustafa's correct. You can take what you want and twist it if you're a horrible or an evil person. 
the, um, the other observation I'm making as I listen to Mustafa and, um, and just thinking about this whole conversation this morning was certainly whenever someone or some organization claims to have the absolute final truth, you're, that, there's trouble going to come. Now, let me, let me be clear here so that people don't... Because um, I know this is going to go into podcast later. Now, I come from a Roman Catholic tradition. I was, uh, spent uh, my first formative high school years as a Jehovah's Witness before I became a follower of Jesus. And here's what I, my experience has been from some of these uh, organizations and even uh, my Protestant faith, is that whenever one organization claims they have the final truth, there's going to be problems. And first of all, it starts with arrogance. So whether it's a pope, whether it's an imam, an ayatollah, or a pastor, or even a school that says this is how theology is done, this is the only way it can be expressed, there's a problem. Now, you know, I, and I know someone might raise the question, oh, you, you're, um, I knew it. Mosaic is postmodern. And that conversation is so boring to me, I can't believe people are still having it. It's just that what I know is this from church history and what I know from the scriptures is this. Is that there's very few, um, you know, uh, what's the word I want? I'll make this a dialogue again. There's very few primary theological concepts that I hold on to that define me as a follower of Jesus. But I'm very open, almost agnostic to how it's morphed and how it's practiced. People make opinions and styles matter of, of scriptural authority. You don't, you know, this morning we stood, and that's fine. And, and I, I, I know there's churches that if you don't stand when you're singing about Jesus, that, oh my gosh, you're this awful human being. How could you be a follower of Jesus? I've had a conversation recently with a family member who, who uh, was critical of another um, Christian faith and how, you know, they, they didn't agree with their theology. And, and oh, you know, when they... When they, uh, if they were to learn better theology, they would have a more powerful, unique experience of Jesus Christ. And I remember, saying, which one? Roman Catholic theology, Coptic Egyptian theology, Pentecostal theology, Reformational theology, Calvinist. Which one? Because I know when people are saying that, they're saying my theology, and I'm quite open to unique spiritual experiences that honor Jesus Christ. What I'm not open to in saying, by the way, we're the only church that matters in Whittier. We're not the only game in town. We're the best dressed, but we're not the only game in town. <laughs> I said it. I said it. You guys were all thinking it, so I said it. <laughs> Don't hate me for saying what you're thinking. And so... Church history, history, man, the, the event that happened 10 years ago, some of you were children, a lot of us were adults, and we were all shocked, and today there's going to be a number of memorials and people who are going to replace some horrible, awful images, and I, I mean, I get it to a point there should be remembrance, but I hope people don't forget that there's a quite a bit of identical journey that's going on as Islam as developed, so as Christianity. In fact, I, I, if, if this was a path of traveling, really, there's just a one block of difference between us. And that is, who is Jesus? Did you hear when Mustafa mentioned that the Quran teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin? When I was in Tajikistan this past summer, I was asked to do some business development training, and uh, so uh, what's odd 
is uh, there I am at these companies, and they welcome spiritual language. You know, how, how do we become men of honor? How do, we be, how do we bring the power of God into our business and lives? You could never have that conversation here in the United States with businesses. And so I was free to quote the prophet Solomon, the prophet Jesus. And they're nodding their heads, taking notes, like, this is great. Thank you for having us here. And thanks for being here and teaching us these principles. We, um, we often forget or confuse Islam as a culture and as a belief system. And so folks, whether um, in churches or regions, you know, quote, they're Christian. And then in that culture, there are people who are actually are followers of Jesus in a Christian culture. It's surprising, uh, people that I uh, saw in a couple of other countries and uh, folks even here, um, you know, driving down Imperial Highway there on, uh, in La Mirada, the local mosques that's near our, near our place here, is that, you know, I think we think of people as the other, often, all the time. And we forget that one of the things, if Jesus was anything, was extremely inclusive. Jesus was amazingly inclusive. His world was bigger than our world. He had the ability to accept and have deep, significant, meaningful relationships with people that disagreed with him about everything. Was willing to. And you know what? At times I realize I'm not. I'm ashamed of that and I strive to work to correct that. But I realize that's my immediate default sometimes is not to have those friendships and relationships. And I'm willing to bet that some of you are the same way. But how, how, you know, I've talked about my mom a few times. Why well, I switched subjects there, didn't I? One of the right things my mom did was to drive home the similarities between all peoples. She was, she was amazing in that respect. She often would say to me, you know, Tabito. Uh, for some reason, she had a deep voice. Uh, she would say, uh, you know, there's more things that keep us in common than, than, than separate us. You know, because she had a lot of friends from different races and backgrounds. And I think about that. Are we under the impression somehow that, that people who are Muslims like, don't care about their families? That they don't have to work? That they don't pay bills? That they don't care that their children will do well? That even further to go into their spiritual and emotional world a bit, that as Mustafa explained, if there's an uncertainty about where I end up, and God is unknowable, what kind of incredible burden is that to live hoping if I do enough righteous works that I'll make it to heaven, I'll never know, and I can't even know the God that allows me entrance. See, somewhere right now in this world, there are men and women who are praying for their family, praying to connect with this God that they believe is unknowable. And we take for granted in fact, as I said in the old prayer talk we had, let's face it, if, if we are followers of Jesus and we're, we're speaking about how to live a good life, the one, one aspect, all, everybody would agree on, oh yes, we need to pray and you should be praying, that kind of thing. But the reality is we never pray like a, a, a good Muslim does. Not even remotely. Hoping, living a life, hoping that God will accept you also can be traumatized by violence. Willing to give your life to God, but unwilling to walk away from God to a lesser God. And by the way, I don't think neither of us are here. 
You know what? None of us are in this room that would walk away from your current understanding of God to a lesser one. And for some of you, the, the notion that any of you would convert to Roman Catholicism would be stepping down. You know what? To some good Roman Catholics <laughs> moving into Protestantism, stepping down. You're going to get rid of the saints? What's wrong with you? I recall a, f- a friend of mine I knew for 15, 20 years at Calvary Chapel, great church, a lot of good Bible teaching. Um, ran into him a couple years back, hadn't seen him in several, several years. He was almost embarrassed to admit the key and his family converted to Roman Catholicism. I said, brother, that's great. Is your soul thriving? You're becoming more like Jesus? Yeah, awesome. Good for you. I'm, I'm happy for you. But a, a good Muslim looks at Christianity and says, why would I step down? Why would I add another God to my understanding? I'm monotheistic. I'm not polytheistic. This Jesus comes from a competing uh, system. If you look at Muhammad and Jesus just briefly, Jesus comes out, you might say, sort of like a heretical outbranch of Judaism. Competing systems. See, look at this as maybe not a follower. You have two competing systems trying to unify the world. Right now, somewhere in the world, there's a group of Muslim men who are wondering how they're going to take over the world. Some of it by force, some of it by maybe religious outreaches. No different than maybe other followers of Jesus have around the world. Maybe over espresso. Oh, that's awful what they're doing. Really? You know, you understand that for, for, for what they think of us, they think we're awful. We do believe Jesus is the great reconciler. And I wonder when we read the passage in John, my, the, the most favorite, if I have a favorite book in the Bible, it's John. If I'm tossed in jail, which is a possibility, let's face it, we know that. Let's just be honest. I'm going to ask for a copy of John. When Jesus says, I have other sheep that you know not of, you know what we do in America? We think it's us. We think it's anybody not Jewish. We certainly don't think it's people who are Muslim. Do we? And if Jesus is the great reconciler, as Muhammad was trying to be as well, both of their systems born out of blood, Muhammad war, Jesus the cross, in an attempt to reconcile renegade tribes and individuals, isn't that the story of Christianity? I want us to be able to continue having, look, being able to look at the world in not a black and white dichotomous view, us and them, wrong and right. But what are the common touch points? Because, because we're all, look, we're all in this together. We're all trying to journey together and find out what's right and what's true. And as I've said before, if, if those of you who are visiting today, who may be new to us, great, glad you're here. And you would think that there's an arrogant view that people would have, uh, followers of Jesus, to think that they're right. Well, folks, everybody thinks they're right. Republicans think they're right. Democrats think they're right. Third party people think they're right. They're tossing the vote. They think they're right. People that go to this university think they're right. 
People that have this view think they're right. This race has it right. This race, how would you know you weren't this? We have it right. Everyone thinks they're right. That's, that's no different. I just want us to be able to have a conversation to show how much common ground there really is between us throughout the world and break this silly notion of wrong and right, this antagonistic notion that I tell you, look, it is not helpful in sharing your faith with other people. If you want to share your faith with other people or you just want to be right. You know what? Uh, (laughs) If there's an an Islamic version of Christianity, I have to say it's Calvinism. And for my friends who are Calvinists, I mean, the the fatalistic, future is set view of life, I, I don't, you know, short of Jesus being divine, it's very similar to Islamic faith. In fact, let me say something else. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess, what can you say? No, I have the mic. But um, uh, that, the, that the less there is a focus on the love of God, tempered, balanced, and added to by his wisdom, his wrath, his goodness, his divine power, you know, the less of the focus is on the, on, the, on the love of God, you know, the more Islamic you become as a follower of Jesus. In the theology. Um, as you, some of you may know, that Islam itself means submission. And it's a, there's a lifelong drive to submit to God's will, God's purposes, even though God's unknowable. I, just, you know, I mean, can you imagine that? Think of it, if you, um, if you had a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe some of you have had, you've been in this relationship, uh, where you know, they're so elusive, right? You, know, you never know where you stand, you know, you don't, and you don't know what to do, you don't know when, when is it enough, how do you make them love you, right? I've read. I've never had that problem. I've just heard others have had that. But carry this into a divine level where it's no joke anymore. I want to know God. I want to make sure I'm right. I believe that there's a, there's a punishment and there's a reward. And I can't know them. Oh, how many of you... Um, I know we, do, we didn't do a movie review and I realize some of you are disappointed. But um, What was that movie Christopher Walken was in? He played Gabriel the Angel. What was that movie? Prophecy? Okay. One of the best lines from that film, it's almost scripture, was he was, you know, you know, I think he was being questioned why he was being a bad angel and, uh, and why he didn't connect with God, something like that. And he said this phrase and like it was pain and hurt and frustration. He says, because he won't talk to me anymore. I remember I, I almost reacted emotionally to that. What a horror. To have once known or believe there's a God who won't speak to you. Hopefully you can feel that. That this is the tension that decent, good Muslim men and women around the world face. That he won't talk to me. As I said earlier, in Christianity the idea of love being primary... Um, I think in the book of John how Jesus refers to his followers as friends four different times. Jesus says we can know God. Now, granted, look, we, we, we're never going to know exhaustively anything about God. Ever. Ever. But we can know him. Um, and what makes this more interesting to me Again, I'm just trying to look at this as if I'm not a follower, like trying to be objective. What, what would I experience about this if I wasn't Muslim or a Christian, if I look at these two religious systems? 
is that one of them claims that the founder is God and is not giving secondhand information. Now, you know, and, and quite frankly, I think that's kind of important. I'm not speaking on behalf of what I know about this person. You know, I am this person. I'm telling you what reality is like. I'm telling you there's nobody else out there but me. I'm telling you I care. I'm telling you what I feel. I'm calling you friends. This, I am speaking from myself. This is the story of Christianity, that, that God himself came into our history to speak to us because he loves us so that we can be known by him and know him. And if we're made for relationships, certainly God would want us to know him. I do also realize that often even in churches that are um, theological um, divides and, and are often uh, relational, they're moral choices. Uh, I have a friend who uh, is making some dumb decisions sexually, you know, just not managing his life well. And a couple of our friends, hey bro, you know what, I'm hearing some things, uh, if they're not true, I want to defend you. But if they are true, I want to have a different conversation with you. It's my standard line. So if you get that text from me, you know that you're... Oh, goodness, pastor found out. Dang it. Telephone, telegraphed. And so, you know, the, the response back is, uh, you know, hey, I don't want to have this conversation with you. And then we had like a half hour text conversation. Still got him. So at any rate, the, um, at the end of the conversation, it was, you know, hey, bro, we, we love you. And when this all falls apart, and it will, we're here to love you. And, and, and his response, honestly, the response was, it still hurts. I just want to be left alone which, as I explained to you a couple of weeks ago, is the definition of hell. Just leave me alone. Okay, boom, there you go, hell. I'll leave you alone. Your will be done. Right, because there's two kinds of people at the end of life, right? One that says, ah, your will be done, and God says, no, your will be done. I'll leave you alone. The strife between this, you know, if you, if you are following Mosaic Whittier on Twitter, and you should, there's some amazing insights. Um, I pointed out that this story of Islam and Christianity is about one father, two sons, and they're both trying to win the love of their father. We have so much in common with our Islamic friends. And I wonder if we can actually step out of our goofy, westernized, Americanized, Southern Californiaized Christianity and recognize them as the friends that they are men and women that Jesus Christ died for so that they can have certainty about their destiny that they can meet a God that knows them and can be known by them there would be peace and reconciliation in their lives that they can joyfully revel in praising their God the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob our God we have a tremendous amount of journeying that we've done that's very similar. Just one block difference. It's a big one. I'll give you that. It's huge. But can you actually be a person that can express that? So as we continue the conversations, this series with atheism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Scientology, this is where we're headed, to be able to have an intelligent conversation with everyone about the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. Okay, hey, listen, may I pray with you guys and we'll dismiss and we have some announcements that are important and an offering that's coming up as well. Father, we do want to thank you for being a God who is above all and yet still intimately part of each of our lives. 
Help us to remember that as followers of Jesus, where, wherever we go, heaven and earth have intersected because we take you with us. I pray for my friends, pray for myself, that we would be people who, out of a grateful attitude, would give our lives to service to friends and family, neighbors as you define them, which is anyone we come in contact with. Help us to have a healthy Christ attitude towards your amazing gift of salvation. Help us have a healthy, God-honoring attitude towards the cross, this movement that was birthed in your son's blood. Help us to be those people, as you said in John 13, that because the way we love them, that would be the ultimate apologetic for our faith, that they would know that the God of Israel lives and that we are truly your followers. I, I help us get away from this goofy notion that it's information that will change the world and it's transformed lives that will change the world. And so because we love you, because you first loved us, because you know us and see us, on this day of memorial, this day of remembering lives that were lost, and first responders, and so many things that happened 10 years ago, we wish to say thank you for intercepting our trajectory, stopping and coming into our stories, and placing our name in your book of life, and knowing us, loving us, and making us part of your family forever. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.